0: Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Weekend at Dave's. I'm your host, David Silbert, and it has been quite a while. Yeah, the last episode, if I recall correctly, was August of 2019, so it's been a while since since I've had the last Weekend at Dave's episode for all of y'all in terms of what's taken so long. I guess it's just, I just haven't had that creative spark to be, to be completely honest. Um, I always want to do these episodes when there's something juicy, when there's something fun to talk about, report on, um, in the entertainment industry at large, and in, in games and movies. So yeah, it's—it's it's been a while. I know for some of the folks that listen along, I, I did promise a, a certain episode. If you listen to episode five, bear with me on that—that—that that, that is coming. Uh, don't worry. But for now, I wanted to take some time and highlight a special event. Um, Something I hold very dear. And that is PAX. PAX East 2020 just came and went end of February, beginning of March. And as those who have listened to a fair share of Week in the Days episodes will know, I covered PAX East 2019 extensively. I had one episode for each of the days. Uh, I'm not doing something so crazy this year partially because PAX 2020, at least for me, just wasn't quite as hard-hitting as 2019, so there's just a a little less to cover. Another reason is, I mean, maybe it's the effect of the coronavirus and and Sony jumping out of the event at the last second, but I don't know, it, it... I wouldn't say less energy this, this year, because I think there was plenty of energy. And again, I almost I like to equate this almost to, to basketball, um, a sport that I've really grown quite fond of in recent years. But I think there's a lot of hungry developers out there, uh, people willing to show their stuff and, and really excited to see the future usher in the future of games. So uh, it's not like there was no energy from PAX 2020. In fact, I, I really had a blast and, and really was able to feed off it in a way that, I don't know, I kind of lacked in previous years. 2019 for me was my favorite PAX I think ever. Uh, I've been going since 2010. Wow. I I missed maybe one or two here or there. I think 2020, this was my eighth time going, but yeah, 2019 uh, loved. I I thought the, there was a great balance of just phenomenal indie games. there. not a huge AAA presence, but it was just buoyed by so many awesome developers coming from all corners of, of the country. Honestly, probably the globe to show their stuff off this year similar energy just for whatever reason for me uh i i i played 40 games from the show and and i don't know it just didn't have quite the same impact for me but that didn't stop me from coming up with 10 games here that i really was impressed by and wanted to share with all of you so yeah i hope you like this list let's let's dive in So, this probably goes without saying, but we're going to count down from 10 to 1. Keep things suspenseful for y'all. Number 10 is a game, I don't know if people already know about it. Most of these games, just heads up. Uh, I I don't know if I alluded to this already, but there was not a huge AAA presence at PAX 2020. Just because, first of all, Last of Us 2 is by far going to be the biggest game there, I think, probably without a doubt, and Sony, again, pulled out uh, at the last minute, because, of understandably because of coronavirus, and um, in doing so, they also took away some other big games, so Iron Man VR, um, Splunky 2, which is indie, but some big name games, and uh, Nintendo had a presence, but it was for primarily Animal Crossing, which is coming out in a month, and whenever Nintendo hits PAX, it's, it's always a fever rush, and so... Just for my purposes, I didn't feel the need to really demo Animal Crossing. It doesn't feel like a game worth demoing. I just feel like you don't get a great idea of the gameplay. We know what Animal Crossing is. So you take out Last of Us, you take out Animal Crossing. Microsoft didn't really have a presence outside of Mixer. There just weren't a lot of of big AAA games on display, except for one, hint, hint, which will be a little later on the list. So yeah, just heads up. Number 10 on this list is an interesting game, given an interest I already alluded to earlier. And this game is Dunk Lords, uh, developed and published by Story Fort. This is a two-on-two multiplayer basketball game, uh, kind of in the style of an NBA jam, very over-the-top. Not 2D graphics, 3D graphics, but very much in that arcade style where people have power-ups... And are just going in on opponents, building up a kind of mega meter, unleashing these powerful moves. And yeah, anyone familiar with an NBA Jam, MLB Slugfest, NFL Blitz, they kind of know what to expect from a game like this. It's not, the game does not use licensed characters. So if you're expecting LeBron James and James Harden and Anthony Davis, don't. Because uh, this game is completely going out. Out with the exotic characters. There's one that's like a strawberry that has like a an, a mega move that you can build up during the course of the game, where you can lock people down by trapping them in literally a can of jelly. There's another one that's like an older man that when he activates his mega, he becomes younger and he becomes like quicker, I believe. And like there were just all these weird, quirky characters with just like these super fun moves. I mean, obviously, for those unfamiliar with with basketball, I'm not going to explain the rules of the game but I mean it's in line with that I think uh, there's not for me there's not much to compare this kind of game to so I don't know if I'm just staring through rose-tinted goggles just because hey like you know I really like basketball I'm not a big like sim c- player I- I'm not a big 2k fan but I did like you know I have played NBA Jam every now and again not extensively so maybe the gameplay in NBA Jam is tighter um I, I had a blast with this. Uh, we watched on first, me and a few other punish Backlog riders watched on as a group of four guys, four gentlemen played this game and they were having an absolute blast. We watched them play and then we sat and had some hands on time. But I think one of the cool differentiators of this game that kind of separates it from a game like NBA Jam is during the game, you, again, there are spots, there are spots on the floor where you can build up your meter. So basically you want to be on a certain, certain spots that you hit On the floor that change very depending on the map you play, that will be marked with, for example, an M designates that you can build up your mega meter, which is how you unlock the special moves I was talking about. There's another one that uh, has a dollar sign and that builds up your money. And so you might be asking, well, what's the money for? Between quarters, you can spend money that you've accrued on different pieces of equipment that you can put on your characters. So it actually adds like this interesting layer of depth where um, the quarters themselves are pretty bite-sized chunks. I, I would say they're no longer than maybe two, two, three minutes, probably two minutes, but you're incentivized to think about not just a quarter, but the full game. And uh, it's really interesting to work with your partner that you're playing with at the time and you know, working to uh, balance you know, hitting three point shots with building up your mega meter, gaining money, playing defensively, uh, taking more risks, depending on when the game, you know, how the the game plays, how it develops. So you're going to maybe want, if you have a big lead, you're going to want to invest in equipment that's going to help you defend that lead. If you're behind, maybe you want some equipment that's going to help you, I don't know, get more points. There's one that, like, if you dunk from, from then on, as long as you have that pair of gloves on, every dunk you have will, will award three points, not two. Or maybe it extends, um, you know, if you take a three-point, it becomes a four-point. Something like that. Uh, it's super interesting. I, I think the mechanics are fun. I think there's a learning curve, as with a lot of sports games. But I think, I, at the very least, we had a, a, a lot of fun spectating. Like, the people in front of us were having an absolute blast with the game. And, and honestly, when, when we sat down to play ourselves, we had an awesome time, too. And it just it seems like the ultimate basketball party game. Uh, so for those that want an alternative to 2K, that that kind of long for those NBA Jam days of, of just fun arcade play, Dunk Lord seems to be a really uh, awesome investment. Uh, it's coming out, out of all the games on this list, it's the one that comes out earliest, March 18th. So not long to wait. It launches on PC and Xbox One, curiously. So no PS4 version an- uh, announced at the moment. I presume if this game does well or even honestly even if it doesn't, I imagine PS4 and Switch must be a factor. It gets a little dicey with next gen just because I imagine developers don't want to develop for PS4 necessarily if PS5 is on on the horizon and they expect a lot of players to migrate. But I would have to imagine that Switch is is in the works and, or at least they're considering that, but I think it's a it's a cool console exclusive or for the moment for, for Microsoft. I can't wait to pick it up on my Xbox and maybe it'll show up on Game Pass. Who knows? Anyway, yeah, like, can't say enough good things about it. But alas, we are only at number 10 on this list and we have nine more to go and they keep getting better from here. So moving on, number nine, we have a probably a better known game. This might be one... There are several pretty well-known games on this list, but I think a lot of people will have heard of this game, even if they don't know exactly what it's about. So this game is Carry On. It is developed by Phobia Game Studio, published by Devolver Digital. I think people might have recognized it from either... I don't know if it was on a recent uh, Nintendo Direct or some kind of it got out of the ether uh at some point. It's launching on all major platforms later this year. We don't know that, I don't think we know a specific date, but sometime 2020. And basically a way to describe this game is alien. Alien the movie but you're controlling the alien. Or maybe maybe a little bro- more broadly, picture your traditional like horror sci-fi horror movie where people are running away from this ever-lurking monster that's creepy and always lurking in the shadows, imagine you get to play as that monster. So you start as this little wisp of a creature, some alien creature, and you're going around this ship in space. Basically, I don't know what the objective of the game is. I probably should have looked that up, but I mean, I can't imagine it's anything short of Wanting to absolutely wreck havoc on people. And that's exactly what I did in my, in my short gameplay demo playing at Devolver's booth. And essentially, you the controls are pretty simple. It's like you can latch onto stuff with your little monster. And you can like pull out, yank out grates and um, flip switches and things like that. But the real uh, meat, oh geez, yeah, pun not intended. The real meat of this gameplay is eating other humans on the ship. And so, by devouring humans, by like getting up in their grill and, and devouring them, you're able to grow your monster. And basically, you over the course of the demo, I became like a small little fry to like a hulking mass that just kept growing big and like imagine like Katamari, a Katamari game mixed with Alien or something like that. That's that's I think the way to describe it. And then maybe throw in, I don't know. It had this kind of almost Metroid feel to me, just because it's sci-fi. It's a two D. Action game side scroller, and it was it was cool. You had to you had to get to a certain size in order to be strong enough to pull off pull through certain grates. Uh, when you're in the water, you can you can phase through certain objects if you're if you're in water. I don't know the science behind that, if any. But so there were a lot of interesting mechanics at play, and of course there were also some. There are more than just helpless enemies that will let you eat them. There are sentry bots with guns, and I think humans with and everything from like flamethrowers to assault rifles and things like that. So it becomes kind of strategic. You don't want to take too much damage or be burned or anything like that. Uh, You have to keep track of where water sources are uh, on the ship. Some weird biomes, too. So there's the more mechanical underpinnings of the ship and there's like a more foresty area with a lot of plant life but um yeah i assume you've got a goal you're probably trying to get someplace on the ship and um i i'm not gonna go so far as to call it i don't think it's a metroidvania but you definitely have to develop certain uh moves by by enhancing your your creature by growing them in size so you can access other parts of the ship so it's interesting Uh, i think the one thing that stood out to me above anything else was the sound design was impeccable uh like I don't, I don't mean to, like, revel in this because it's, again, it's a little grotesque, but, you know, when you're devouring people, like, like, just their screams, like, there was so much interesting stuff put into the, um, sound design. The creature itself, like, I, I believe, like, yells out in pain when it's, when it's being lit up on fire, and it's just, like, definitely wear a pair of headphones when you're playing this. This is a game that you want to experience just, like, with the lights turned off, even though it's, it's pixel art, 2D pixel art. Uh, It's not really, like, going for that immersion factor, but then again it kind of is with that amazing sound design and um airtight controls for the most part yeah i had I had a good time with the more i talk about it, the more excited I, I get about it yeah look out for it number eight another game i think maybe people have heard of this is the artful escape it's developed by beethoven and dinosaur very interesting studio name and published by annapurna so, you know, whenever Annapurna gets their hands on a gamer movie, you know it's going to be pretty interesting. This one, you've probably heard of this one, I believe, from some kind of past Xbox showcase. I think Xbox has really taken on promoting this game at either past um, ID and Xbox showcases or something of the like. I think they've really mobilized around this game. I think you might you might have also heard about it uh through Apple Arcade. So I'll just say the platforms. The platforms are PC, Xbox One, iOS to start. Sometime this year, 2020 again. No form date yet. But I mean what I think is cool is I think this is I believe this is launching on day and date with Apple Arcade. I'm not sure about Game Pass, but I, I wouldn't be surprised. This is a game that I wouldn't say it's built for iOS, like from the ground up with iOS in mind, but it certainly lends itself really well to that because it's got very simple controls. I played it on a on a PC using a gamepad, um, and I, I at first I was kind of hesitant to play it because I I just had in my mind that it was oh it's I think it's an Apple Ar- arcade game like I don't know how much depth it's gonna have. Again, like in terms of just like an immersive experience, I had a I had a really good time with this one. It is a two D platformer slash rhythm game where you are this guy trying kind of exploring this foreign world and trying to i guess you're a musician and you're trying to add music to it or you're trying to perform at these venues Um, at least for the purpose of the demo that i played you were trying to make it to this this venue you've never been to because i guess you just wanted to entertain and the, the the beginning of the demo took the form of a of a traditional platformer very simple like no enemies or anything like that it pretty 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 run-of-the-mill. But what really stood out to me, honestly, was just its sheer appreciation for music. You're a guitarist, you like to rock, and everything that you do when you're platforming has some kind of sound attached to it. So basically, you only have a few buttons that control your movement. You can jump, you can kind of hover, and you can slide. But these moves are kind of all synced up with the music going on at the time you kind of have like an empty landscape um it was a desert during this demo very canvassy like like a like just a a massive landscape that you're traversing almost kind of it felt like journey-esque and you're filling it up filling up the empty space with this music as you're just platforming and moving from one side to one side of the desert to the other and it was just immersive really invigorating to play something like that where the the you know the focus wasn't on tight platforming or defeating enemies or anything. It was about just really jamming out and playing out into the ether and really just having a good time getting from point A to point B. I find it hard to kind of explain it. Uh, if you're reading, if you're catching this podcast from the webpage uh, on the Punish Backlog, I'll certainly link a trailer to all of these games, by the way, but certainly to this one so you can get, an, uh, get a feel for it. And um, I'll add in show notes as well for those listening on um, streaming services. But... Yeah, like I don't know, like something. Spe- I I wasn't expecting much from this game, and um, just the platforming. Something something struck a struck a nerve with me, and it was it was really, really interesting. And that was only the first half of the demo. The second half, uh, you've made it to the place you wanted to play at, and then there's this I don't know kind of really weird monster waiting for you and um basically it took the place of kind of uh took the form of a guitar hero-esque rhythm game you don't have to play in time but you kind of have to repeat simon says like what the alien or what the foreign entity is mapping out for you and it's like on a different face button you have to use the face buttons and the shoulder buttons to play on your guitar and it's just you're just jamming out like this it's a game that, at first glance, it's hard to see what the direction for this game is, but I think it's a lot bigger than the sum of its parts. I think it's, it's, you know, I think it's got gorgeous 2D art, beautiful sound, and just the landscapes look awesome. I don't know from a story perspective if it's going to draw me in, but I think, again, if you're looking for kind of an atmospheric game that you can relax with and just kind of sink into, almost like a journey, I think this one will be one to definitely keep your eye out for and... Yeah, I think we need more games that are going to be creative like this, that are going to take some, just some creative risks, even if it's not on the necessarily the gameplay side. It's just something that's trying to tell a, a novel experience, and I think that's what the Artful Escape certainly is doing. So, very cool. Number seven. Uh, this is a repeat uh, from 2019. One of my favorite games of the show back then, still is now. That is Cyber Shadow. Uh, this is developed by one man band. I'm going to butcher his name, Arn Hunziker. Published by Yacht Club Games, so this is, at PAX, there were a lot of new Shovel Knight, you know, news to to kind of, to immerse yourself in and get giddy over. There was uh, Shovel Knight Dig, which is inspired by Dig Dug and games like SteamWorld Dig, like other games where you're digging into the ground, collecting resources. I think you know that it's kind of, it's almost become its own genre at this point. And there was a new game they announced, which was like a puzzle game. I think it's Shovel, Shovel, Puzzle Night or P- uh, Shovel Night Puzzle, Puzzle Battle. I don't know. It, there's so many Shovel Night games at this point that it's really hard to keep your head wrapped around it. And so, as someone who personally, I enjoyed Shovel Night, but I just, I didn't really love it enough to keep up with all the other expansions, slash just honestly like side sequels, basically, or spinoffs. Yeah, it was kind of a bummer just because I feel like uh, Yacht Club Games is such a. Talented studio and and, and great publisher. Uh, I just wish they were willing to take a few more risks with the games that they put out, and so that's why it's so exciting for me that that Cyber Shadow is a thing. You know, it's not developed by them, but they're they're putting money behind it, and I think it's it is still a platform. It's still retro inspired, but I, I love that they're they're branching out a little bit and doing something different. So, for those that didn't watch the last year's podcast episode where I talked about pan, um, Cyber Shadow. It is a two D platformer inspired by games like Ninja Gaiden. If you played the recent The Messenger, it's kind of like that, except probably better. <laughs> um, yeah, it's. I mean, there's nothing crazy going on about this game that is gonna set the world on fire from like a gameplay standpoint. It's just very a very tight platformer with traditional, almost like Mega Man mechanics, where you you beat a boss. You 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 go linear level by level. You defeat a boss, you gain a new special ability. So for example, in the early levels, you might gain a shuriken attack. Uh, you might gain a fire attack that you can direct upwards. Um, there are a bunch of little you can get like almost like a almost like a ducktails ducktales uh, shovel knight downward fist attack um, that you can use to pop up on pop down on enemies from above. It's it's pretty well known, well established ground here. But I think what makes Cyber Shadow again so intriguing is it controls so well it plays well I I think there there is a lack of really well balanced challenging 2D platformers that play well and have uh, a learning curve but feel good you know I think I think in in many ways Shovel Knight went for that and I don't know like for me personally I think it was going after a lot of, it was looking to emulate a lot of old retro 2D games and did its own thing and tried to hark back to famed games like Mega Man and DuckTales while while trying to carve its own path forward. Whereas I think, ironically, Cyber Shadow doesn't really like try to do a lot of new things, but just execute on old stuff really, really well. And I think it actually stands out a little more, for me at least, compared to Shovel Knight maybe not in terms of personality or character or story or anything like that but just from a gameplay standpoint it's like if you if you like like ninja gaiden and you like a challenge you're going to like this game you know so i think by being uncompromisingly retro in that respect it almost feels more modern or just like a breath of fresh air in today's gaming landscape when a lot of a lot of people are either retro inspired but trying something new or trying to emulate old games but failing to do so, this is like right on the mark for me. So, yeah, not much else to say about it. Other than that, I think it's going to be a real fun one coming on all major platforms fall this year, and notably, it's going to be on Game Pass. So, at least for me, I'm I'm excited to I'll have to renew uh, renew up on my Game Pass subscription. But I'm I'm excited to definitely get this one for free and um, enjoy the heck out of it. So yeah. Number six, another repeat from last year. Uh, This is one I'm super gung-ho about, and that's Panzer Paladin, developed and published by Tribute Games. This one is coming to PC and Switch this summer, uh, which I don't know what I talked about last year exactly, but I'm very surprised that this game has come so far and and is releasing so quickly because, I mean, I was really impressed by, by what I saw last year. Didn't have a huge marketing push behind it and still doesn't. It had a bigger presence of packs this year than it did before. It had, like, one or two setups max last year. Now it had, like, eight or ten. Like, they definitely buffed out their presence, which I appreciate because they need to get the word out about this game. It's coming out soon. Um, it's, it's fitting that it is side-by-side side with Cyber Shadow in terms of my personal, you know, hype level, I guess, and anticipation for when it eventually comes out. But I'm also a little... I'm going to go back a little bit on what I just said. So Cyber Shadow, I talked about how I think it's really refreshing that it's going... It's unabashedly just embracing 2D games and not trying to be something it's not. Panzer Paladin is doing something similar. But I would actually say it's almost closer to Shovel Knight where it's trying to carve out its own its own identity by merging, by melding a lot of these different ideas together. So just to give an idea for those that, that didn't tune in last time, last year, it's been a long time. Panzer Paladin, it takes a lot from a, a lot of different old 2D games. So most notably, you play as a, as a young woman who pilots a mech. And so that right there, that whole premise, that is like mech warrior to a T, right? Being able to... Getting out of this mech, and you, doing so allows you to access certain areas where you need to be smaller, or just playing with that idea, so that's one game. You also, when you're in pilot mode, right, when you're outside of the mech, you have uh, a whip, right, uh, you have a whip, when you're in the mech, you can do a sidestep, right there, I'm getting Castlevania vibes, in the mech, you can do a downwards attack, again, DuckTales, Shovel Knight. In addition, I don't know if this was also the case in MechWarrior, but basically you have separate health bars. Like when you're in the mech, you're more powerful. You have like a pretty meaty health bar. When you when eventually if your mech gets destroyed in battle you have to go out into pilot mode, you're a lot more vulnerable, but you're also more nimble and agile and faster. So there's that duality of gameplay where you, again, for navigation purposes during combat, you're going to be forced to get in and out of the mech. Probably should have mentioned this earlier, this is a 2D platformer in the same vein of a a Shovel Knight or Cyber Shadow, but again, it's, it it has like a distinct, kind of a mix, it's 8-bit, but I feel like it it just—it seems a little closer to 16-bit in terms of gameplay. It doesn't feel so rigid from a gameplay perspective. I think they're chose like an 8-bit visual style, but it does feel a little more fluid from a gameplay perspective. Um, but yeah, so it's its merging all these established ideas. So like mech and the pilot, uh, you know, the Castlevania whip and the back step, being able to lunge down. You can also lunge up. Uh, there's all that. Uh, the checkpoint system from Shovel Knight where you can... Basically, you gather weapons as you're as you're playing it along these 2D platforming levels, and you can sacrifice a weapon by putting it kind of Zelda-style down into the ground, or King Arthur-style into the ground, and you'll lose that weapon, but you'll have a checkpoint to go back to. So that's like right out of Shovel Knight. At the same time, there is some unique ideas that it's putting forth. So there's some weapon durability. Not that weapon durability is... Like it's inventing it or anything but for a 2d platformer when you defeat enemies some of them will drop weapons that you can then you can carry up to like four or five which i think is actually kind of a a, a nice amount for this game it feels like you can always have something in reserve that it gives you additional reach you have a super like ability that you can use by destroying the weapon at any one time so you can like heal yourself with like certain weapons you can like uh, unleash like a very powerful lightning storm like aoe effect so there's all these things that you're kind of keeping track of as you're playing. You're keeping track of your mech's health. Uh you're keeping track of whether, you know, it would make more sense to go out on foot as the as the pilot and use your whip ability. It may, you know, you're you're trying to weigh in all the weapons that you have and when you should break one or when you should use one for a checkpoint. There's just like a lot of different systems in place, but it never feels overwhelming and it feels really fun to play in an exciting way. So like again, like I have a hankering for I, these games, I suppose, because I think games, and if I, if you want to, if you want to hear about this topic at length, go check out episode five of Weekend of Days when I talk about open world games and how bloated a lot of today's games have become. I, I'm really hankering for some for some solid games that are like ten hours or less. Just let me have a good time. Be really like no padding, no filler. Just let me go in and have a great time, at, you know, while it lasts. And so I feel like I'm getting that feeling from Cyber Shadow and Panzer Paladin, and I just. You know, I, I can't wait for these. That, that's why Indies are so important to me because I feel like they don't feel the need to to be bigger than they than they need to be. You know, like it's like creators, artists, programmers, musicians. They put their life's blood, their their sweat, their tears into this work, and they just want to craft like a novel experience. That it might maybe it's something that's embracing something of old, or maybe it's something that's trying something new. But nonetheless, they're trying to to put everything, like all their effort, into something something new, you know, their vision, their game for audiences. And so I think that Tribute Games are doing just that with Panzer Paladin, and I cannot wait to see more. Next up, we have at the number 5 slot, we have a, another game that I think people will know probably thanks to Microsoft giving this game a ton, Nintendo as well giving these games this game a ton of a ton of visibility. And that is Spiritfarer from Thunder Lotus Games. They were previously responsible for Jotun um, which is kind of like almost like a shadow of the colossus top down 2D shadow of the colossus inspired brawler or like you know action adventure game and then you had um Sundered which was I don't a uh, slightly different genre I I that was one I did not play but Spiritfarer completely going for a different vibe no violence at all in this game no enemies to fight it is a chill 2D <sighs> How do you even describe this game? (laughs) This chill two D life sim, or like slice of life anime, like hand drawn artistic game where you are helping spirits move on from the world and go into the afterlife and you're piling this boat from place to place and you're you have a cat by your side and you're tending to plants You're, you're personalizing your ship with different rooms and you're gathering materials and it's got almost like a terraria feel in in that it's 2d and that there's a there's a crafting element or a building element and that you're kind of personalizing this journey of yours this ship um, but at the same time what really makes spirit fairer stand out and this is I was so happy that they encouraged this on the show floor but there's a co-op mode and I played with a friend of mine another punish backlog writer and um, we played co-op together and I, I played as the young girl who's the protagonist which by the way um, this will become a little bit of a theme i guess it's not a theme theme but this will show up again but I'm so happy that uh, this game features a young black uh, woman as the protagonist, and I, I think that diversity diversity of gender, diversity of race is like awesome. I saw a ton of games at PAX that had a lot of black representation and I was like super stoked by it. Uh, specifically black women, and, and that was like something awesome. It's just, it feels great to see more games that represent you, you know, from, from my perspective. And that was awesome. So anyway, getting back to the point, you play as a young girl and then you also have her cat companion. And so my friend plays the cat, I play plays the girl. And yeah, like it was it was a really soothing experience, not soothing in the same sense of Artful Escape or like a journey experience where there's some sort of momentum and you're going someplace. Yes, you are. But at the same time, since you're always on your boat moving from place to place, like sometimes you'll dock in a town and you'll explore and you'll buy materials or you will buy something to add to your ship but by and large like by and large the ideas that you're bringing your home with you so it, there's always this sense of like peace and serenity around this game that's something that journey always had some kind of sense of unease or like adversity that you were always coming to to grips with whereas this is like low key very low key it's like a soothing game that you can just enjoy de-stress it's not it's not about conflict it's about it's about people and it's about the relationships you build and i think that's really cool we need I, I love games that try to do you know tell an interesting message without the need for violence or some kind of like crazy adversity. And better yet, it's co-op. So you can play with a significant other, a loved one, a friend. We played local play, but I assume you could also play online. But anyway, we played together and it was a blast. I, I love the way that you can just kind of go tend to things on your own for the ship. Like you can go talk to who you want and everything stays within the the confines of of one screen, it's not split screen or anything. Um, The only thing we encountered was sometimes when you're talking to people in the same vicinity, the the text boxes bubble up over one another, so it's possible that (laughs) you can kind of mess with each other, and sometimes, like, the text boxes will get cut off if you're working on the very opposite ends of the screen. Like, it'll try to zoom out to adapt you, but it doesn't, it's not perfect. That's something I hope Thunder Lotus can tweak before release later this year, but if nothing else, like, I don't know, like, it's it's very soothing. It's almost, uh, when you're navigating around the ship, you can hold down the A button on Xbox to glide down, almost like Breath of the Wild style. It's just very serene, um, and it's a joy to play, so I can't wait to see more about it. And it's launching on Game Pass, all major platforms, but for Xbox, it'll be included on that Game Pass, which I love saying, um, yeah, again, sometime later this year. Okay, number four, this is, Arguably the only a game on this entire list. You could make a case for the one after, but uh, and I've refrained from talking about this one. This was by far the biggest game at the show, e- even even with Animal Crossing, the biggest game of the show for, for real. Um, so big that you had to get in line early. Before, like the show up floor opens at ten, and if you were past ten thirty, you missed it. You had to get in line to get a ticket to then come back and play the game later. You couldn't even do like a PlayStation experience. Esque app where you sign in digitally. You had to be there physically to get your ticket, which I actually kind of prefer because it rewards people that are physically there, not just like quick on their phones from their hotel room. But that game in question is Final Fantasy 7 remake. In retrospect, this is hilarious because we got we got a time on the last day of PAX Sunday from three fifty to five ten to play. Uh, I mean, it didn't take us the full time. It was about a 20-minute demo, and it didn't take that long to stand in line. So all in am told, it probably took about 40 minutes, 35 minutes to 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 wait and play the whole thing. But <laughs> those who might not know, so this was the same Scorpion Battle demo that journalists experienced at E3 2019. And the funny thing is, I joked with my friends that morning that, hey, like, oh, like, we're gonna go play this demo. And, you know, given the fact that we know that there's a demo that is waiting to drop on PSN. I I I have no doubt that within the next two weeks this demo will be made available to the public because they're just waiting on the last public, you know, event. Especially with the coronavirus concerns, like there won't be any more trade shows for Square Enix, I'm sure, or Sony in the, in the foreseeable future. So a public demo will be perfect in the lead up to the April launch. So if you have a demo, you gotta gotta release it soon. Lo and behold, I I I was too conservative with my guess. Like the day after PAX, like the Monday after PAX, the Final Fantasy VII remake demo drops on the store. It's it's longer than the one the version we experienced. It was like twice as long, had more stuff, had more gameplay mechanics. Um. Anyway, like I'm going to record a separate episode on the Final Fantasy VII demo that dropped on the PSN. And I'll I'll talk about the differences between what I experienced at PAX as well, probably in that episode. But for now, I will just talk to what we experienced on the show floor at PAX. I won't delve too much into the gameplay specifics, but by and large, like, yeah, like, I I really enjoyed what what we did get to experience, which was the Scorpion battle. It was just surreal getting to see Final Fantasy VII finally, you know, after waiting so long, getting to control it, getting to hear the banter between Cloud and Barrett. Yeah, it was it was unreal. And, um, you know, went by like that. I thought the gameplay was tight. I thought graphics looked great. The music was incredible. Voice acting a little over the top. Barrett, I don't love like a very kind of stereotypy kind of character caricature, African American man, like, not a fan of that. But I do think overall, the voice work for other characters were pretty strong. Yeah, it was a meaty demo. I thought... I, I went away... I, I went into the demo feeling skeptical about Final Fantasy VII. I think... I, I had been thinking to myself, look, like, in terms of all the AAA games that are re- are releasing this year, Last of Us Part Two, Cyberpunk, potentially Breath of the Wild 2, Animal Crossing, out of all those games, I, I felt like Final Fantasy VII Remake had, had the biggest chance of being a failure. And I, st- I still kind of think it does. I think the game could, could just really not tie up very well but i i i I walked away feeling a lot more a lot i I walked away feeling reassured and and frankly relieved i think the game is going to be fine just just fine from a gameplay perspective i think the, the audio and visuals are gonna be solid i think the storytelling is 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 definitely a step up from what i expect what i experienced with 13 and 15 which bodes well for this game I'm not saying by any means it's going to be the pinnacle of Final Fantasy storytelling, but I do think it's going to be definitely heading in the right direction. And I think that's going to... I think the real remaining question is just about how uh, how much content's in the game. Uh, I'm not looking for a long 60-hour game. I'm aware that the game just takes place solely in Midgar. But, um, you know, for me, I always... I think, I think if this game is 15 to 20 hours main story, maybe an additional 20, 10 hours for side quests, so like maybe 30 to 40 to complete like be a completionist that's enough for me um yeah I don't think I don't think they need to pad this game at all I think midgar is an intriguing enough setting that people are gonna just be enticed to play it and um, I think the gameplay is certainly enough to to support this game from beginning to end I think it's just gonna you have to deliver on that story throughout. But otherwise, yeah, I don't have many qualms about this one. I think this is going to be... I think it's going to be really good. So, fingers crossed. Hopefully, they can deliver. PS4 timed exclusive for a year. Comes out April 10th, after which we... Presumably, the game will be available on PC and Xbox. Either one or Series X or both. Yeah. Should be cool. Number three. Now, we're getting into the awards segment of this this podcast. So, we're going to... Three, two, one. Bronze, silver, gold, or Game of Show. So... Getting the bronze medal for me uh, at number three, this is a surprising entry for me. It is Streets of Rage 4, co-developed by Lizard Cube and Guard Crush Games, published by Dot Emu, and I guess developed and published in association with Sega, which I I, I don't know too many of the development details behind this one, but I assume it basically, they got the rights to it, they got Sega's blessing to continue the Streets of Rage franchise, even if Sega is not having, like, a direct hand in its development and publishing. Um, it's releasing on all major platforms this year. And, yeah, at first, I'm not a big Streets of Rage guy. I'm not a big beat up person in general. So, you know, when I heard Streets of Rage 4 was on the show floor, I didn't really pay it any mind at all. Um, it just so happens that I ran into a friend on the show floor that I know from around Boston. And um, he's big into fighting games and beat 'em ups and I think he he really appreciate he told me he really appreciates the prior Streets of Rage games because of their fighting fighting game roots and the fact that they're legitimate combos that you can do when you're fighting and so it gives it a lot of depth that you might not have for other similar beat 'em up games. You know, I think of games like Scott Pilgrim saves the saves the world and you know, just like we get a lot of beat-em-ups, surprisingly nowadays like this gen last gen prior generations and uh, it doesn't seem like they really have that much depth it'll have like maybe a light attack you'll be lucky if you get like a light attack a heavy attack I'm thinking of that Simpsons arcade game from back in the day like think of your average arcade beatem ups how much depth do they actually have streets of rage on the other hand per my friend. Um, really does have some complex combos that you can get into, just different characters that behave differently based on, you know, they'll have their own sets. So so there seems like there's a lot going on under the hood. So I went into Streets of Rage 4 um, with an open mind, and lo and behold, whoa, like, really, really interesting stuff. Uh, first off, let's start with what's most apparent. Uh, visually, the game is outstanding. It's got this really nice cel-shaded style. Not 3D, not 2.5D. Still, like, 2D, but just has this, like, nice, like, cell shaded style, which really stood out to me. And, um, I don't remember much about the music, but I, I I feel like that's probably in good hands. I don't know if the original composer from Streets of Rage, I think, um, might be getting mixed up with a Street Fighter. I don't think Yoko Shimomura had a hand in Streets of Rage at all. People are, people that really know the Streets of Rage are, are gonna lash out. But, so, uh, but I think from what I remember, the, the music was, was cool. But the main attraction... You know, outside of the audio-visual experience was the gameplay, and, and it really did deliver. Again, the similar theme, kind of jumping off of what I said in Spiritfarer, I really loved the diversity on display with the character select screen. Um, there were only five on dis- uh, that you could choose from, for the demo at least, but a lot of diversity, uh, like several people of color, several women uh, in the cast, some old and some some new to the franchise. Just really cool. You know, I I... Having come in with no prior experience playing these games, I had a blast. I think it's simple. The controls are like simple enough to pick up, like for just somebody just wants to play a beat em up, but complex enough that if you like the combo, if you like having combo systems, it's it's by no means is a fighting game, right? It's not Street Fighter, but it does seem like it. If I recall correctly, this game took influence from Street Fighter, uh, the fighting game, and you know Streets of Rage. It's kind of playing off of that uh, that ideal and having you know, imagining what a Street Fighter game would be like if people were walking around completing beat-em-up tasks, you know, getting from point A to point B. And so I got that sense. You know, I really got that sense. Like, easy to pick up, maybe hard to master, or at least there's definitely going to be a high ceiling for people that really want to get digging deep with it. Uh, and learn intricacies, but I I never felt like I was just button mashing or you know just had very limited my move set. I always felt like I had a lot of options available to me between like different super moves and you know back attacks and uh, air attacks and just like a lot of different tools at your disposal. You could pick up weapons to use. Another interesting thing I don't know if it's standard for beat em ups, but at least for Streets of Rage four it stood out to me, is that you can actually inflict damage to the people you're playing co-op with. So the game. The game has co-op. <laughs> game is co-op up to four players. I was surprised when I was attacking, we were in a boss battle at the end of a at the end of a level. And I, I had tried to unleash a super move, or I did unleash a super move, and I hit my the person I was playing with, my friend, and it dealt damage. And so I was like, well, that's interesting. So, you know, kind of um, I'm the only time I I'm, I'm used to playing with friendly fire is in like a Halo game. And uh, so, or, or playing doubles in Smash Brothers. And so this was really interesting because I think uh, it adds a, a degree of uh, of challenge and like spatial awareness that you need in, in a beat-em-up. And so I, I thought that was a really welcome addition. Again, I don't know if it's standard, uh, but I, I love it here. You can, you know, for people that just don't want it, you can turn it off. So there is some degree of player choice here, which is really nice. I love having the option to choose which one you feel comfortable with. But um, yeah, like, I mean, I don't know if it's trying anything like, new, quote-unquote, but for people that want, that love Streets of Rage, and that wants it with a new, a fresh coat of paint, modern consoles, gorgeous visuals, you know, newfound diversity, you're gonna love it. And uh, someone new to the franchise, me, I know I'm gonna love it, too, so I can't wait. Uh, all Again, all major platforms coming out this year, can't wait for it. Silver Award for PAX East 2020, number two on the list this is knuckle sandwich this is one that i guess some people might be following i think it was it was a kickstarter pc game coming out uh aiming to come out this year one man band developed by andrew brophy and uh this is one that at least how i would describe it is a 2d contemporary rpg where you play as a pair of young children uh, a boy and a girl um, kind of navigating real world like everyday suburban environments like a supermarket and getting into weird quirky battles with quirky foes and Getting items like just everyday household items and just with quirky item descriptions and weird just kind of gameplay mechanics like a turn-based RPG if that sounds Like certain games, I wouldn't blame you for thinking or, or associating this game with something like Earthbound or Undertale And in fact, that was exactly my thought when I first jumped in for a 10-minute demo and um that's you know, for me, that's awesome. I loved Earthbound. I really enjoyed Undertale as well. And I, I think, like, hey, like like another contemporary RPG that takes some inspiration from the two games, that's awesome. Uh, interestingly enough, the people handling the publishing promotional distribution side that were on the show floor at PAX told me that the game actually was not inspired by Earthbound or Undertale, and their reasoning was that they're an Australian developer publisher team and so Earthbound was never localized for them, so they never, I guess most of them have not played it. Uh, The game started development before Undertale was announced or released, so separate development paths and presumably separate products entirely. I don't know if I necessarily buy that 100%. I mean, it just seemed very... Like, it just seemed like there was a lot of elements that felt very similar between the two. I mean, I suppose it's possible. But, I mean, at the end of the day, regardless of whether it was intentional or not, it definitely feels that way to me, and I, I'm here for it. Like, I, I I loved what I played of it. I thought it was humorous with really sharp writing. It had great, great music. Uh, the combat was like an ode to Earthbound. It, this is... <laughs> I'll get to that in a second. Uh, the combat was... Uh, Felt like Earthbound in the sense that you were kind of playing at a static screen, you would select what you want your characters to do, although the characters do show up on the screen, which is very nice for me, because I I didn't like that about Earthbound or Undertale. You would have to do a contextual action to deal damage, so that's almost like Mario & Luigi or Paper Mario, where you have to do a special action to deal an attack. Likewise, you have to do a similar action to dodge, Um, so sometimes... To avoid an attack, you might have a contextual action a la like a dodge from Paper Mario or maybe even like one of the, uh, typically one of the Undertale kind of uh, micro games, so to speak, where you have to like dodge like some ships coming in or you have to tap the button on the right timer or something like that. Like there's some, there's a lot of micro games apparently that are going to be included in this game. So a lot of the enemy, I guess each different enemy is going to have a very different contextual action associated with them, which is really Awesome, and the game is going to be apparently the developers aiming for about ten hours. I I, I love a lean game, especially an RPG. But um, getting back to my point uh, from earlier, I called an Earth an ode to Earthbound on Twitter and got into like a weird kind of scuffle with with someone online to, to kind of battle out. Uh, the person was an avid Earthbound fan, but for some reason didn't want to categorize a game like this as Earthbound. He in his words or their words, uh, they didn't want. They were saying why is everything that's like a contemporary suburban setting RPG now Earthbound all of a sudden? Like, why do we have to call it Earthbound? And I'm like, well, it's not just that. It's, again, everything I just listed. Like, playing as kids. Like, um, very like quirky quirky art style like freeze frame static backgrounds when you're playing fighting enemies like there's so many different things i could pull upon that that makes it feel like earthbound or undertale and i don't think that's a bad thing like i don't think again like i think the theme of a lot of these games that i've covered is the game is these games are not trying to necessarily do something brand new i mean they might be or they might be just paying homage to something that's already existed because of how great that game was. Um, In the case here, they might not have been inspired by Earthbound directly or Undertale, but undoubtedly, over the course of development, there must have been some things that just subconsciously fed their way into the creation of this game. And if not, um, I'm glad that they arrived at this path because these games are awesome. And I love the personality of these kind of everyday games. I think it's really easy to identify with these kind of characters. You you, You identify with your own childhood, you identify with perhaps, uh, an environment in which you grew up, and I think that's, that's, it's, it's welcome, you know, we can, we can have a, a, you know, a year for games in which you have Final Fantasy 7 remake coming out, like, you can have Cyberpunk releasing later in the year, like, just, you know, the culmination of Western development, and then you can have a nice indie game that is a callback to a fan-favorite, um, Nintendo game that desperately deserves a sequel and localization of Mother 3, cough, cough, hint, hint, but, um, yeah, I mean, again, I think the, the message here is it, it didn't do anything out of the ordinary. I do think that the combat actually feels like way more entertaining for me than Earthbound or Undertale, probably combined, like for me, just because I love the fact that there's so much effort going into the different contextual actions. So I really, really appreciate that. And I can't wait to play. It just felt so good to me. So I hope that's the highest praise I can I can lop on this game is that, you know, like even if it brings to mind some similarities with other games, like I think it's actually doing it better than the games I remember growing up so that's that's a definitely worth worthy of a silver medal from me um i can't wait for this game just plain and simply number one gold my game of show at pax uh this is when i almost didn't even play because it was located at the indie mega booth like so there's an indie section when you come into pax there's one large area dedicated to triple a games and big uh vendors like Corsair and other like PC keyboard shops and mixer and streaming places and Twitch and all that. The area behind is dedicated to indies. But within the indie area there is a another fixated indie place for like really like solo ventures for the most part. Like I, I almost I almost think it's a prerequisite that you need to be a one man army, a one man band, like one like solo developer in order to even be eligible to show up at this specific indie I think it's the indie mega booth I might be wrong it might have a different name but anyway I I love to go there that's where I played last year One Step from Eden the Mega Man Battle Network inspired game that's coming out later this month that I'm absolutely jazzed about and wrote extensively about this time around I played a certain game that just blew me the heck away and that game is The Wild at Heart it is developed by Moonlight Kids published by Humble Bundle Targeting a 2021 release on PC, and um, I waited quite a bit in line to play this game. Like it was a lengthy demo. The person in front of me playing, and I first I, I was almost I almost tempted to walk away and and just try other things. It was it was I think the last day of PAX, and so I was getting kind of uh, uh, trying to be a little um, frugal with my time, because I knew that the time was coming to an end at PAX. And uh, I'm so glad I stayed in line because this game is awesome. It's a 2D art style game, reminiscent of something like Nights and Bikes, just to give you an idea of the what the visuals we're looking at are. And um, the game, the the premise behind it, I guess, is like this kid gets transported or stuck in like this foreign land and uh, kind of like lost in the woods, and he's kind of wallowing about himself, and he meets these mystical creatures in the woods, these little. Um, saplings or I don't know, they they look like little like tree saplings or, or some you know, something straight out of, I don't know, Alice in Wonderland or, or something. And um so he, lo and behold he he pulls up this he gets this uh this vacuum cleaner, I guess. Not unlike the poltergeist from Luigi's Mansion. I don't know if it's a vacuum cleaner, but it's a thing that sucks and you know blows air. And uh, you can use it to manipulate the environment. So you can open a gate by blowing on the windmill on this little lever that, act, you know, this windmill that acts as a lever that, that brings down this gate. So you can proceed. But I'm kind of getting around the big piece of this gameplay puzzle. So um, this, these saplings you can recruit and you can use them to help you navigate the environment. So maybe they're moving a rock out of the way. Maybe they're helping you build a bridge by, by moving sticks. I think I might have already given away, like, if that calls in mind Pikmin... That's because it, it certainly is like so. Basically, if I were to just say what this game feels like, it feels like like Knights and Bikes from a visual standpoint meets Pikmin from a gameplay standpoint. But picture Pikmin if it was from kind of like a like a costume quest kind of vibe in terms of just like. You're not playing as like on a foreign planet necessarily with the Captain Olimar. It's like you're you're playing as a young kid, kind of fairy tale esque, um, like a grim grim fairy tale esque, like navigating this kind of wondrous Alice in Wonderland environment. Yeah, intriguing, right? And um, I have not disclaimer. I have not even played really too much of a Pikmin game. I've played, I have Pikmin two, and uh, I've played a piece a bit of it and i have pikmin 3 and i have played a little bit of it but i've never completed either uh, i've never really had a full grasp of what the like the the full g- gameplay possibilities are with either game or this or the franchise at large and um you know maybe i'm just missing that and like maybe this is just exactly what i would get from a pikmin game but something about it just felt awesome to me i loved ordering my you know, ordering the saplings around having them gather items for me building up bridges fighting off little like creatures uh, trying to bandage yourself up if you're hurt, like you, you can eat like apples to heal yourself, and if your inventory's full, like the different saplings can carry those back to like a camp. There's a crafting system, like there's so many different things you can do in this game, and I love. I I talked to someone involved in development. I think it was a programmer or, the, or maybe the lead artist on it. Uh, I think it, it's it's going to have like kind of like a Metroidvania element to it, where you can come back to areas once you have like certain certain saplings or I think maybe they're called Spritelings, I apologize. I just think Pikmin. And um, that'll help you kind of move larger rocks, or maybe you won't be able to break through a crystal because you need like a harder-hitting companion at the time. So so you'll it incentivizes coming back to areas and, and kind of exploring further. And that's how that you're kind of almost, I think the demo that I played was kind of like the hub area, so you'll kind of branch out from there. But yeah, like all the mechanics were just so well interwoven and I was just I lost I, I I found myself lost in the game. Like the time flew by for that demo. And um it's if, if anything, it certainly has gotten me pumped to play Pikmin 2 and 3 and trying to find Pikmin 1 somewhere. I know those games are just so expensive, but I'm i I just have to. But I think I think for me, honestly, I think taking the the gameplay skeleton of a Pikmin game and adding this more kind of childish Almost surreal fairy tale atmosphere and story and world to it, just makes it so much more interesting to me. I just feel like it's such a match in heaven to have like the a, a young boy befriending these young like it just it just feels it feels somehow ironically more at home than like some weird ass space astronaut like uprooting these weird like rainbow like. Skittles out of the ground and like ordering them around, like just that, that just feels like so weird, totally for me. Like it, it makes me wonder like how the hell Nintendo ever comes out with any of its ideas. And like Miyamoto, Aonuma, these people are geniuses. Like I'm, I don't mean to take anything away, Awada Like these people are so bright and innovative. And without them, we wouldn't have so many amazing franchises. But It's just, I I love the fact that other developers, again, like, I mean, if we're looking at the list here, it's like, look, like we had like the the top one and two games from PAX here. It's like one that's inspired by Pikmin, one that's inspired by Earthbound or not inspired, whatever. We have games that are inspired by Ninja Gaiden and Shinobi, and we have games that are inspired by Mega Man and Shovel Knight. And just, it just runs the gambit, man. Like NBA Jam, like look at all the inspiration that E fuses itself into all these games and and you know helps people be creative and come up with their wildest dreams and I'm going veering way off course here but I just it's it's so exciting to talk about yeah. That was my list, everyone. That was my list of 10. I hope you enjoyed running through this with me. I hope I have put some games on your radar that you might not have known about otherwise. And I, I hope, uh, yeah, I hope this inspires you to to check out these games, follow them, wishlist them on Steam or or Epic Game Store or wherever else you get your games. Check them out on Game Pass. Wishlist them on your Switch. Get involved, like, you know, like get interested in these because these, I think these indie developers are going to be the, the big honchos of the future. Anyway, that's it for me. That's that's a wrap on packs. Uh, I I am hoping to do a physical like write up of this that will go up on the site as well. It might accompany this podcast post. It might not. Anyway, stay tuned. Uh, if I don't do it, if I don't get around to it, sorry. Um, but I hope I hope you enjoyed this this return to form. Um, I promise that there's more where this came from. Because I love doing this and I love talking about entertainment and games and what's on my mind. And I just, I love talking, clearly. It's very clear, I think, to those listening that I love talking. Um, Play me out.